Recuerda rolling en 3, 2, 1. I've known Carlo through a common friend, a dear dear friend. Carlo is the guy that you really need to know. The first time uh, we met at dinner, it felt like a breakup, as there was so much to say that it felt really wrong to leave the table. Carlo is like a Chinese box. Every time you speak to him, something surprising comes out. I love to argue with Carlo, sometimes very hardly, but Carlo every time can find a way to find the right solution to whatever discussion we have. My name is Gianluca Cinque Palmi, you are listening to GLC Live, my podcast dedicated to business design. I'm an educator, design entrepreneur and best-selling author. This show is dedicated to designers, creatives and entrepreneurs that, like me, want to inspire, challenge and disrupt the business and design industry. In this episode, Leadership with No Leader, with Carlo Giardinetti. Ciao Carlo! Ciao, ciao Gianluca! So, Carlo, thank you so, so much for coming into the show and, and welcome. And one of the things that I remember the first time we met, you told me that you were now in your third or fourth life. So, the man with many lives. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about all the phases of your life? It, it is one life, but it's many professional lives uh, inside. Uh, yes, uh, I, I mean, in, in a nutshell, uh, I started with this passion for football, uh, I, I was like three years old, but uh, I, I became a professional footballer in Italy. Uh, at the age of 13, I had to leave uh, my hometown, Rome, to go and play for Atalanta in, in Bergamo here in Italy. And, uh, and that was my life until uh, I, 22 and a half, uh, I had a bad injury on my knee and that disrupted that first life. Um, but it was a, probably the best opportunity for me. That, that's been the moment I've done it uh, for the first time. Okay, you can change what you thought it was going to be your life passion forever and ever. And then circumstances happen and you must change. And um, I started a very fast growing career in hospitality. I became a general manager of hotels and resorts uh, around the world uh, with a very fast growing career. And I was in, in Egypt, uh, in Kenya, in Tanzania, in the Maldives, in Ukraine, in Italy. Uh, very interesting uh, uh, after of my life that lasted 10 years. And then um, when I decided to marry, who's today my wife, mother of our three children, she told me, if you actually want to marry me, you have to get a proper job. <laughs> That's and a funny I, I, one. I, I'm not sure what she meant by that. <laughs> she didn't like me being hotels and, and all of that. So I said, you know what? I, 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 I've i done it once. I'm going to do it twice uh, another time. And, and that's I went to study an MBA. And, and from there, an opportunity came up. And I, and I became an educator. I came to Switzerland. And I'm in Switzerland now since 2012. Started to work in... Uh, education and then uh, is the schools uh, and today i'm just about to get across the fourth life as i started to collaborate also with uh, a major uh, consulting company with deloitte um, on uh, on leadership and uh, 
human capital. So life is interesting. It is, always is. So looking at your super fascinating background, you always had to deal with very diverse group of people. And, you know, as a footballer, you had to be part of a team, like the classical, literal definition of team. And then when you were working in hospitality, is always looking at the client or at the guest, which is the best example I love when I coach people in hospitality that they always say oh our guest is such a beautiful uh, interaction right and then now in education and then consulting uh, is it there where you started developing this deep knowledge i would say in in uh, heterogenic uh, teams and um, and uh, teaming and teams uh, is is that where it started or there was a actual it's, it's pivotal a moment <laughs> it's a good question you know look i, I think uh, um my, my plan uh, when i will turn eventually 50 plus is to try and and, and write a book if anything for myself uh, reflecting back uh on on learning exactly Ask me now, when did you start? When did I start getting comfortable with change? When did I start learning about teams? If I, and it's a long uh, uh, process to reflect on these things, as you well know, you know, uh, it's not really um, a straightforward answer uh, necessarily. But my best answer to that is I, ne I never felt I've been particularly good in team <laughs> as Carlo, you know? Okay. <laughs> no. But what I remember very well since the beginning uh, as a footballer was there is a difference between being able to perform well in a team and uh, being a, a likable guy, uh, let's say. The, nice. the emotional part and the practical part are not necessarily, you know, um, they don't have to be, be so consistent. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And football reminded me that, I mean, we were ready to, to eat each other, <laughs> even not, not only <laughs> with opposite team, but even within the team uh, on the pitch because we all had this, but that didn't mean that we were not actually very good at coordinating with each other and performing a win in the game. Sure. <laughs> so it was uh, interesting to reflect that the, 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 what you need to put into the team effort is far beyond only performance and it's far beyond only getting along. It's an interesting mix of the two and the dynamics are not just always the same, something that you can find on the shelf and, and it works for everybody else. It's very human working in teams. <laughs> it is. And nowadays that we do have these amazing technologies that connects us and we can find uh, informations and case studies and, and in, you know, you can work with somebody in, uh, in India or in China and for the past 10 years i was in hong kong and i was working constantly with european and u.s companies very easily in a, in a way but it seems that there are a couple of things and leadership is one of them that are stuck are stuck in the past there is still this model of 
you know, I'm the boss, so you must do what I say. And whatever I say is, is right. Sometimes you meet people that are a little bit more inspiring, but the models are still very, very present. Even, even great leaders and very successful leaders, there is still this model that is a top-down model. So there, there are the managers, then the middle managers, and then the executors. And then yeah, if there is a board or there is a, a group of mm. people leading, uh, why is that? Uh, why, why can't we evolve in a way in our leadership uh, models when we are evolving in so many other models? Mm. Yeah. It, it's again it's it's a, it's a great question to look at um, one one thing that really helped me addressing this question is going back to to leadership uh, and understanding okay well, what do we need by leading and what is leadership right and uh, it it really helps to make a difference or a, or a learning leading people from leading work because people get really trapped in the paradigm of, mm. of leading people and leading people is is messy it's human it's emotional it's you know uh, you know it's it, it has a lot of stuff in between you know it depends on my mood today and the other person's mood today i can i can tell you can mess up everything uh, else even just emotional right Com components and personal development, uh, where I am as a leader, where are you as a professional? A leading work should bro be brought back uh, to the center of the attention, especially in business, I think. If we focus on management and leading the work, we understand that actually we can lead great work without getting stuck at hierarchies and um, having to put authority and power in place to get things done. Because a lot of work is actually already happening everywhere in the world mm -hmm. through dynamics that are not, I tell you what to do and you do what I told you, and if not, not at all. There's, there, there's so much work that is getting done with very different dynamics. So that discernment between leading work and leading people, it's a good place to start, mm. in my opinion, answer this question of evolving uh, leadership models. And also, I noticed that sometimes when, uh, when you are saying leading work is also most of the time a lack of clarity, of direction, because even the... the uh, we all know that the company needs to make money and that's yeah, okay perfect that's the definition of business but uh, that's a consequence of your actions right so w there are so many ways that you can do that the the difference is what is the path that you are taking to to go towards that direction and sometimes when it happened to me when I was uh, consulting or helping people find their true north. No, uh, we we call it the the, the north star metric, no? or the only metric that matters for for that sake. 
and um, and you can see that a lot of uh, corporation don't have that they know that they need to make money but most of the time that is not the actual metric that matters because uh, I, I make this analogy and we are Italian so we must do a car analogy so <laughs> you know the the gas the gasoline that goes into the car that's the money but the navigational system and the direction and the input of, of the GPS, that's the strategy, that's the direction. And then you also have the gauges that tells you if you have enough uh, fuel, if you have en enough oil, if you have enough brakes or, or pressure tires. And, and with this simple example, uh, sometimes we have to, to rethink the way that we approach uh, this idea of leadership and I was super fascinated uh, when we talked about uh, two of your uh, I would say passions maybe uh, one was we discussed about this amazing book that you wrote the preface for uh, in the Italian version and I would love to hear about that um, fearless company I believe is in English the fearless organization. Oh, the yes, fearless by, organization. By Amy Edmondson at uh, Harvard Business School. Yeah. And that was amazing to, to read your preface. Mm. And then uh, the concept that was totally new to me, and, and you explained it uh, so interestingly, of uh, holocracy, which is what you were discussing before. Mm. So can can you... Uh, give me a, a nutshell about this new way of, of leading and, and maybe there is also the episode of, uh, of leaders, leading without leaders, right? Yeah, yeah. Holacracy is a, is a very interesting uh, uh, system um, that I have experienced for three years and I studied uh, and, and, uh, and I think that there's a lot to learn from it. Um, today, if I have to say, I, it is not what I would suggest uh, everybody to go for, not at all, but okay. I, I think it's something that I would suggest everybody to learn from. Um, and one of the reasons why I love holacracy as a system, and I'm, I'm going to spend maybe a, uh, a minute or two to explain what that is, but before I get there, is, is really leadership and leading work. What I mean by that is, if you are in the business of leading work instead of leading people, you understand that to lead work, there are, like I was saying before, different, uh, different tools you can use. And uh, structure and clarity, exactly what you were saying before, and transparency become your new tools. So instead, in a typical archaic leadership style, me as a boss, I withhold a lot of information because that's privilege for me and power for me. And I only distribute little pieces of information to people by telling them, you need to do A, B, and C. And that's all you need to know. And that's all you need to do. That's a typical way to. Now in this new type of leadership, you are actually take your leader role as somebody who enable others to do their job in the best way possible. So if you are in the business of enabling others, not telling others what to do, enabling others, what you need to give them is information, structure, and support. 
So it's very different. You give them structure that enables them, which means you give them uh, perhaps objectives, you give them a time frame, you give them opportunity to connect uh, with people necessarily in their network to do that job at the best. And you give them all information that you would normally withheld, withhold with you, uh, you give it to them. And that is empowering them to do their job at the best. Mm. Then how do you lead the person? So the, the, the support that I was talking about, that is more like a coach. So that is where you're leading people, but you're not leading people by telling them what to do. You're leading people by supporting them where they get stuck for whatever reason, because we know that managing tasks and managing teams, it's, it's complicated. So holacracy is interesting as a system because it removes completely the management function of managing people. It's a Perfect. system where nobody manage anybody else but everybody manage a piece of work so everybody has uh, tasks and has a job description that says what i'm supposed to do and then you are completely empowered within the structure of your role to do everything you think should be done mm. without having another person that say oh no you have to do it like this or you have to do it like that it's interesting because of course, what happens with when people are given all that empowerment and all that freedom to act, uh, it, it's a little bit of a lottery out there. Not everybody reacts uh, <laughs> sure. the same to all that freedom. So that's where maybe some limitations are also there, of course, in a system like that. Uh, but it's quite exciting to experiment uh, uh, that new paradigm. It is. And... Um... And uh, I was reading a book um, by Derek, uh, I forgot his last name, it's called Anything You Want, and he's the founder of City Baby, and he became a speaker, and uh, it was wonderful, and he was saying that because he was focusing a lot on, on the growth of, uh, he wanted to provide to his clients, which were musicians, and he was a musician, the best service as possible he really didn't like the idea of having a big business he wanted to keep the business small lean and at service to the musicians and at one point in the book it's fascinating because he said he delegated everything and at one point he had i believe 50 or 60 employees and they started saying oh you know we would like to have a reward program or, or stuff like that or, or return on on uh, on the investment and he said okay whatever sure and then his accountant came back and said so basically all the revenues of the companies are going back to the to to the people because you didn't control what kind of uh, of a reward you were giving and and in in this little book is he explained this this idea of you know you can give only so much control but in this case i believe there was a misconception of of setting the boundaries within that and say okay guys mm -hmm. like you said i think what you said before is fundamentally is essential which is the clarity of message and say okay this company needs to make this amount of money so that we can survive 
and um, you know these are the boundaries that we we have and we want people to act in a certain way um, but I notice in in a lot of companies I'm working with a fair amount of startups now and you see that there are so many different kind of um, leaders in a way because you go from the startup that where the CEO or the managing director is uh, allow me the term you know the super tech guy that, that had that vision that had that uh, genius you know of starting whatever a, a disruptive app or, or a service etc and now with all the changes and the shift in the market they are struggling because of course they have to sell because they're saying okay the, the lifeline of the company is at stake but then they forget what you said that is the the empowerment of people and then it's all about sales 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 but then how can you actually act better as an enabler and this part i think is essential because it's super hard to do and even as a as an advisor um my role when when i see these kind of things and i make them notice these kind of issues and i said you know wh what are you enabling in people right and he goes like oh i'm delegating and i was like delegating is not enabling right and i oh i'm focusing on the sales or i'm focusing on closing the deals but then you have a little bit of the opposite which is a kind of anarchy in the company because everybody does whatever they feel is right and sometimes is aligned with the purpose of the company sometimes is not and and it's a challenging moment especially um in in an i would say in an environment where like a startup which is very fragile because if you are in a in a massive corporation and you know the, you have momentum that's a little bit you know that it's gonna have there is gonna be hard times but the company still produces and still runs but in a startup it's very easy it's very fragile so i'm thinking is there something that we can share with 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 the audience saying you know even if you are in this situation and we we do understand the lifeline of of your company but sometimes taking that extra effort to to really clarify your mind to clarify the 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 objectives to clarify the the metrics and the north star is worth the time even if it's not directly related to sales <laughs> It is not, it's not only necessary, it's, there is no alternative to that. That is where, uh, like you very well said, um, people in organizations get it really wrong with the assumption that delegation and empowerment are the same thing, and, and they're totally uh, not. Delegation, the way I, I picture delegation is like, here I have something, a package, I give it to you, off you go, because you are 100% capable to do the job. And so it's kind of like I, I remove a weight from me and I pass it over to you. And then at the end of your journey, um, what most likely is going to happen, I'm going to blame you because you didn't do A, B, C, D, <laughs> and, and E. <laughs> voilà. 
and and that's the typical delegation end of the story. Empowerment, the metaphor I, I use is a tango. Empowerment is a tango. You dance, and, and in a tango, there's always somebody who leads the dance that has more experience, that has somehow the role to lead the dance. But there is no way you, you never let the other person go because the other person needs if you want to need you and you need the other person, if you want the tango to, to, to work, you have to dance together. And so when you empower somebody, you cannot withdraw yourself from that process. You need to provide yourself <laughs> clarity, information. And, and clarity, like you said, is clarity in purpose, is clarity in information, uh, is clarity in deadline, timeline, uh, in uh, uh, scenarios that all information that if you are in a privileged position that you have more experience and you have this information, you want somebody else to do that job properly. Why are you keeping all that information for you? And I tell you why is that uh, um, where information is power and then you keep it for yourself so that you can keep your power and your status. That's pretty sad. In other cases, it's actually even worse than that is laziness in a way not to do the your homework when you empower somebody you got to have clear in mind where are you sending that person to you cannot uh, research tell us over and over that if you empower somebody with, with a with a blank sheet they will most likely undershoot compared to what you were expecting and in from time to time overshoot and do actually damages by overdoing certain things. Sure. So if you want to empower somebody, you need to provide the necessary structure for that person to really do well. So, Carlo, in, in your opinion, when you when you face this because I think this is the struggle, uh, and I would say that um, I will try to be to be very blunt. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm not bragging or I'm not, uh, let's say, I, I don't want to point the finger on one structure or another, but what I observed is that uh, by working in, in Asia, in the States, the structure is a little bit more flexible. And in Italy, we have this issue of um, excess of support meaning that when you have an employee they they all have the all the rights and not the how do we say the duty <laughs> no uh, and and it's very hard we, while in asia you know somebody can say okay you're not doing what you're supposed to do here off you go these are your month of uh, mm. of salary please uh, go out but what i notice is that a lot of people are are more driven by doing well because then you become an asset for the company. So in this structure of uh, excessive assistentialism, I would say, uh, how, how do we break this kind of habits? Because then on the other side, like you said, you do, you do want to lead, you do want to have structure, but then uh, on the other side, you you also have to have the people that are receptive enough to do so. And I was having this um, problem 
very simple. I, I, I ground it right away. Startup, a startup that I'm working with, uh, I was tasking giving them the, that structure. So I developed the project management system and you know accounting for the hours because the, they were spending too many hours uh, on a, on a project and. Uh, and then you have a lot of friction and you have a lot of, um, how do you say, pushback from the people. Oh, I don't want to sign in the hour. I don't want to write the, the project management uh, or I don't want to write down the project. Uh, or, you know, I'm designing stuff. I, I shouldn't spend hours on, on filling up an Excel sheet, which is, it's a fair point, but... Uh, even in the process of trying to explain how this could benefit you and say, you know, so you are not stressed, work is going to be more organized, blah, 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 but you still have a lot of pushback. So in the terms of um, holacracy, how, how can we break these barriers? How do we get people on board if we can? Mm. So I, I, I don't want to get over stuck at holacracy as as one system okay. but i would my, my suggestion would be to to go into the like exactly what you were describing this this land in the middle where <laughs> we want to empower uh, people and then we have to deal with the pushback and we have to deal with the, either a, not a very good leader or a, not a very good uh, um, employee let's say and 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 because that is the land of management i love that area because that is where management and wisdom is people who cut corners or leaders who cut corners by using their authority and power to get the things done they are allowing so many things to fall through the cracks because you have the illusion that mm -hmm. you're getting things done and you have no idea idea what you're missing out in terms of how much more people could have done if you actually had enabled them differently True. right so there is this illusion that i the leaders get things done and they get things uh, very well by pushing again and with the hammer all the time in reality if you try differently you can get amazing uh, higher value from your collaborators. The problem with trying differently is that one solution, when it comes to structure, like you said before, doesn't fit all. And research also tells us that there is actually such a thing as too much structure or True. too much support, <laughs> like you were just saying. Um, if it is too much structure, it becomes actually micromanaging. If there is too much support, it becomes actually uh, assistantialism, like you were saying. Is like you never. It's like the mother who never let the the the, the, the child, child go. go, right? So, but that's where I, I again I argue that's exactly where leadership and management art need to grow, in understanding that we are not anymore in the time of Fordism where an efficient solution would work for all and I can produce millions of cars once I get my level of efficiency and I keep nailing on the efficiency. That word is gone. 
we are now in what we call it the, the new the knowledge uh, time, the knowledge industry. So we're dealing with constantly learning new things and acquiring new information. And therefore, the one solution fits all doesn't work. The workforce that we have is very different in the in the in the level of personal development. Some people come with great personal experience. Some people are still stuck, depending on the company culture where they come from. So they are all different. To learn as leader, the manager to deal with that difference. So I always say you have these three volumes, which is structure, support, and clarity. Mm -hmm. Every employee with whom you work will need like a mixer and more or less structure, more or less support, more True. or less clarity and information. That's it. And you are the DJ. You are there. <laughs> you need to learn to do that. Voila, that's, it, that's, that's what I see. It's absolutely fantastic because uh, although I, I love to read and I love to inform myself on all the latest news, all the latest tools, etc., uh, the older I become, the, the, the more value I give to very old tools and models that I say, if you apply it well, it's fantastic. And I... In, in my in my time as an educator, I was uh, like you, leading a department. So I had several uh, um, reports, I would say, and um, and one of the things that I found myself analyzing in my first two weeks uh, when I was appointed was I, I wrote down this very simple two by two matrix, the famous skills and will metric, and you mm -hmm. say okay where these people lay on this metric, and, and this is something, I don't know, I think it was developed in the 60s, Carlo, if I remember correctly, right? The, the skill wheel metric. Um, and, and, and just says- Could be, oh, I, I don't wanna. Sorry? No, I say it could be, I don't wanna, uh, I don't wanna say yes, yes. I'm not sure, but yes, it could well be, it's a long, it, it's one of the early. early. But, but it works perfectly because it says, if you have high skills and low will, uh, then you need to empower. If you have high skills and high will, you need to delegate. If you have low skills and low will, you need to guide. And it, every, every wow. person that, that follows, follows, no, that falls into different quadrants, you actually have a different kind of management style. And of course, you also need, like you said, uh, at one point you also need to face with the fact that maybe some people are just not a fit. Uh, mm. But they're not a fit personally, like they're not a fit for that specific role, for that specific company. Um, and, and, and this is something, one of the oldest... Uh, uh, I think lessons on on human resources that I um, that I learned, and when I talk about this in in other corporations, sometimes I see a lot of uh, you know wide eyes, and they were like, "Oh, really?" And I was like, "Absolutely!" You know, education is a great master of that, meaning that you can't teach the same thing to twenty students of two fifteen students the exact same way. One student will react in a way or in another. And and one of the things that I always share with, even if I am, I am in the corporate world, I said, I learned more about management 
in my teaching years than running uh, a, an agency or running a studio for many years because the purpose was different. I, I, my goal was I want you to understand. I want you to be able to take this knowledge and then you know walk with your legs and and it changed i i cannot fire one of my students you know they are there <laughs> so i, I and and it's it's wonderful and i always say uh if 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 a lot of leaders would experience this approach and say okay no matter what you need to de- transfer knowledge it would have changed the dynamics of of a company of or an organization completely <laughs> oh um, absolutely well you're touching on a very unfortunately um when you talk about education it's wonderful to hear the way you approached education but the reality is also that again for the sake of efficiency True. the whole education system went another way uh, they started to create courses with hundreds of people inside the courses with uh, uh, prefabricated uh, uh, learning outcomes and pretending that one person teach and a hundred person will learn automatically in the same way as long as they do what the one person teach tell them to do which is the homework or read the thing and guess what it doesn't work like that because every learner is different. different. You're talking about transforming other people. You're not. This is not a transaction even of knowledge because the way we learn, it it varies very differently. If it's all about transferring knowledge, it might even work. But actually, we are in the in education and in training in organization. Transferring knowledge per se. It's only the first step. Then people need to acquire skills through that knowledge, right? That's by doing stuff. And then even later, they need to acquire new behavior and attitude, which means I don't only master the skill, but I apply regularly in my daily working life because I know the value. Further, they have to enter into a new mindset where they see behavior is really the way I see the world and that's why I am good at it and that's why I master it because it makes sense in my vision of the world. So knowledge is nothing but the beginning of the learning journey and yet we structure most of the learning in organization and in education around the way we would transfer knowledge which is so much more transactional. I laugh because I remember clearly, and I, I share this tiny story, uh, when uh, I think it was, I don't know, week two of my teaching career. I, I was super young, and, and I loved the idea of, of teaching, but I wasn't a, a teacher at all. Uh, I, I came from the industry. I was a, an entrepreneur and a designer at the time. Uh, I, I'm still am. Uh, I'm a business designer now, but... Uh, I came from the practice and and so when I was that the teaching practice was new to me and I reached out to one of my colleagues she she was a teacher for a long time um uh, her name was Danny Javas and uh, she was a wonderful wonderful art teacher um 
fine art fine art uh, is also an artist and i asked her i said danny how how do i do this thing I, i don't know anything about teaching and she looks at me with all the calm in the world and said okay listen there are only three things in teaching you tell them you show them you make them do it and that's it <laughs> and and since then i always carry this you know this small peel of saying okay i need to sh- to tell them i need to show them and i need to make them do it uh, and and it seems trivial in a way but it's not is it, is that simple but sometimes most of the time we 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 yell at people what to do and we miss the two other parts we don't show them how to do it which is the structure that you were talking about mm-hmm. and you don't allow them to do the it the clarity and most importantly you don't don't allow them to do it in the sense that like you said off you go but then you don't double check if i was you know imagine you were teaching this way i say okay this is you know modernism blah blah okay you use this structure this is the composition or whatever or this is mathematics these are the equation goodbye and and that's it there is a lot of <laughs> of that knowledge missing which is okay i show you how to actually solve the equation if we want to talk about mathematics and then i let them you let them do it and then you say okay you know you've done it and and there are some flaws and let me show you let me correct you let me give you some critical feedback about that and i feel this and part yeah imagine uh, in what we call now the vuca world right absolutely it's even become uh, an old uh, terminology now but yeah. volatile uncertain complex ambiguous where while you are empowering somebody with your knowledge and with your know-how in general in the meantime circumstances around you are changing absolutely and so <laughs> there is even that additional and and we still live with that assumption that people should just go and do stuff without enough support alone in the book world even the most expert people they can't go too far because like i just said the, the the environment around is changing and make the solutions that we knew used to work before after three weeks or a month or three months all of a sudden they don't work anymore so True. what do i do when i stumble upon these walls constantly if i am alone that is isn't that far too much to ask in organization to people And that's why leaders need to learn to be there and dance the tango with their people. They don't have another role. That's exactly what they are asked exactly. to do. Leaders. <laughs> that's what they are asked to do. That is the the job of a real leader or the job of leadership if we want to be a leader, invested leader because that's another interesting topic. If we bring leadership at the center and not necessarily the task of leading somebody leadership is interesting because in teams you could everybody can exercise leadership sure. in different way by supporting each other by sharing information by uh, suggesting additional structure it doesn't have to be one person we can do that collectively as a team and that's what google learned very fast in in their uh, 
what is called the Google Aristotle uh, project, the team can be empowered to self-manage as long as they get these things right, the structure, the clarity, the purpose, the meaning. Uh, they work collectively on these True. things. They don't need one person to run uh, the shots. And is, I believe... I, I want to know if you agree. This is not a size issue. You can have three people and work perfectly, or three thousand. The uh, the core, the elements are are uh, are the same, right? So you... I completely agree. As long as we understand that, again, you you need to nest these practices of in teams and in circles. Then you can scale it up. But if you start giving uh, one person uh, the, the responsibility to do everything what we just said, supports, uh, clarity, structure, uh, to 20, 25 people, then of course they will cut corners because of who course. has the time to dance the tango simultaneously with 25 people? You can't. So you have to nest these principles into teams that are a normal size of teams. And, and then you can scale it up into a thousands of uh, people in your organization. That's amazing. So let, let, let's try to to synthesize all these key points. In uh, I love to to do this in uh, in the show because uh, I feel is is a wonderful exercise of th synthesis. If we have to, you know, distill our conversation in in three key points, uh, what would they be so number one <laughs> what do you say carlo i have an idea uh so you go you, okay you, you help me with number one Come for on. for me the first thing first is clarity and focus are the base of every uh great <clears throat> leading decision if we don't have clarity and focus uh, you cannot lead with or without leader I would say. I love that one. And in clarity, we need to also make a distinction there that we didn't have the time to make, but it's important. In the clarity of saying, this is what we know, and this is what we don't know. Exactly. It, as good, when we say clarity, it doesn't mean we have to have all the information. It's actually clarity of what no, we know and no, what we don't know. Knowing what we don't because know. Exactly. This is so important that a leader, they have to start learning to share what they don't know, not only what they know. There's no such a thing as a heroic, uh, heroic leadership anymore, where I'm supposed to have all the answers. It's faking it in a book of work. So you want to help your people have the clarity that you just said of what we know and what we don't. And this was, sorry, I want to bring this from, from that book of... Um, and you were telling me the story that was related to the hospital that says the hospital mm -hmm. that get better are the one that were filing the most number of of um, help me out errors errors so errors and mistakes yes absolutely that psychological safety it's the concept that comes out of the fearless organization that says teams that perform up to 10 times better than any other teams are the one that are able to share all the information on the table among them, including mistakes, disagreement, uh, um, uh, 
timeline, deadline that they could meet and so on, because the fastest you share this information with the rest of the team, the faster the team can learn and use that information actually as a trampoline for a new solution. Sure. That was what was discovered with those hospitals, that it was not a matter of making more or less mistakes. It was a matter of how good are we learning from our mistakes, disagreement, because that's actually the new golden mine of any organization that at the moment is completely not leveraged. Mistakes and disagreement are seen as uh, undiscussable mm -hmm. or are seen as uh, unacceptable sure. and therefore discarded. Actually, that's a gold mine for innovation and for learning and so on. No, I, I, I share this and maybe this could be our point too. I always say that failure identifies our next step. There is this concept, and, and I would say this is our fault in a way, and when I say our, meaning educators, that when people fail, it means is you fail, you're stupid. You fail, you, you are ignorant. You fail, you are not smart enough, which is not the case. If you look at, uh, you have three uh, young children, right? When, if they play with Lego, and, and they want to make a construction and, and they don't, they, 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 it breaks, right? So they, they try to pile it up and then it falls down. They don't feel ashamed. They just laugh and they, they start over and they try to make it in a different way. So we should learn from, from our children and say, okay, failure is part of the development. We am, but we need to embrace it. Of course, we have to say, there are some things that we can fail at and some feel things that you cannot fail at. That's very important because if you are an art surgeon, you cannot say, oh, okay, I cut the wrong artery. The guy is dead, too bad. No, but you can say, let me try to, maybe in the process, uh, how do I avoid that failure by, by being rest enough, by being uh, having the right team, by not overworking, by, by being... Uh, I don't the room being ve very well laid. So if you, I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm I'm very co I'm conscious of time, but uh, yeah. this is too important, Gianluca. Uh, uh, we <laughs> need a new language for failure in, in organization. If you have all the information and all the skills to perform a task, that is the kind of failure that we are not supposed to do. But uh, if you have all the information and all the skills, but the environment around you is changing in a way that that information and, and those skills do not produce necessarily always the same outcome in a changing environment, that's, a, that's a, the type of failure where we need to be able to learn from very fast True. because that's exactly where we craft the new solution. And then if you're failing because you're trying to innovate and you're trying to create something new, that's even a more desire. That those are the failures that we actually desire. We want to fail as fast as possible in the process of innovation. So failure per se has this negative connotation. But as a matter of fact, if we learn how to distinguish the type of failure, we understand that, first of all, there are all sources of learning. 
but also some failures are really not acceptable. True. But other failures are actually even desirable, like of in course. innovation phase. Uh, uh, yeah, in, in growth hacking, they call it, they don't call it failure, they call it experiments, which is a nice language to say, uh -huh. okay, let's run an experiment. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do an experiment and say, okay, let me figure out how this podcast thing works and I, I this was an experiment for me right I, and i started and i say okay i'm gonna write and re record a couple of of episodes and here we are now in in, in the third season right and it, it is a wow. wonderful experiment and uh, so we have clarity and focus knowing I what think we that know was actually number three and four huh? that was number True. three four and five it, it <laughs> was but the third one i want to pinpoint it takes two to tango it's too beautiful of <laughs> meaning that that's uh, that's a great one i i think this Me one is meaning that really if you want to make uh, if you want to enable uh, instead of just delegate uh, you need to stay there and and be ready to support to give structure to give clarity uh, depending on who is your dancing partner absolutely so carlo thank you so so much and uh if we want to follow you what's the best channel in, in your opinion uh, linkedin uh, probably uh, linkedin definitely uh, linkedin uh, that's where i try to be and stay more active yes. so carlo giardinetti if you look for me yes i have quite a peculiar surname so there are not many others. so just just because we we run especially in us and and, and asia Carlo Giardinetti is C-A-R-L-O-G-I-A-R-D-I-N-E-T-T-I. So I would say that we have to finalize this. You can be leading with no leaders as soon as we are able to expand our reach and truly change the way that we approach leadership and understand that we need to empower people and that's the only single most important role of every leader is to empower others. This is GLC Live. I'm Gianluca Cinque Palmi. Super thank you to Carlo Giardinetti. If you enjoyed this podcast and videocast, subscribe and comment to our podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. For references and links, there is going to be a lot of material on this, this one please visit glc.live. Thank you, Carlo. Thank you.